0: This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael and Megan's newest book, Win at Work and Succeed at Life. Enjoy Michael and Megan exploring what it takes to achieve the double win, while they recount stories that bring joy and some stories that sting, all while laying out how you can win at work and succeed at life. Pre-order your copy today at winandsucceedbook.com. That's winandsucceedbook.com. I'm Megan Hyatt Miller
1: and I'm Michael Hyatt
0: and this is lead to win our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life and today we're going to be talking about some of my top takeaways from our brand new book which is out now called win at work and succeed at life we are pumped to be talking about this book because it's so personal to us it's really the heartbeat of our message at Michael Hyatt and company so dad I'm excited to dig into this with you today
1: Yeah, me too. And even though we're talking about your top takeaways, how about if I set it up? Sure. Okay. So I get asked all the time, because we've been doing a ton of podcast interviews about the book, is why did you write the book? You know, And and the the book opens with the story that I'm about to tell. It happened about 20 years ago. I was given responsibility at Thomas Nelson Publishers for a division, one of 14 divisions that was in trouble. It was the least profitable, slowest growing division in the entire company. In fact, we'd lost money the previous year and we had negative growth. So the CEO said, how long is it going to take you to turn this division around? And I had no idea, but I pulled a number out of the air and I said, I think it's going to take three years. He said, that was kind of what I was thinking. And he said, go for it. So I cobbled together a vision. I went back to my team and I said, I I really think we can turn this division around, but it's going to take some hard work. And everybody said, let's do it. We're tired of being last. We're tired of being losers. Nobody likes to lose. So we rolled up our sleeves. We're working 70 to 80 hours a week. You know, we were working nights and weekends. We were working through vacations. I was traveling constantly, but we did it. And in fact, it didn't take three years. It only took a year and a half. At the end of that 18 months, we went from number 14 to number one in terms of fastest growing division in the company. Again, this was out of 14. We were the most profitable division in the company. So as a result of that, I got the biggest bonus check that I'd ever received in my career. And it was more than my annual salary. So I knew that when I went home, my wife was going to be over the moon. She would realize, like I realized, that all this sacrifice was now worth it. This was the validation that working nonstop had been worth it. So I bounced through the front door. Found Gail, unfurled the check, expected her to be, you know, jumping up and down. And it was just flat. She was not excited. She was not enthusiastic. And in fact, she said to me some words that probably every, you know, spouse dreads hearing from their their spouse. And that's, we need to talk. Mm -hmm. And I knew this was going to be one of those pivotal, really consequential conversations. So we went into the den and sat down. She began to tear up. And she said, look, I got to be honest with you. Uh, First of all, I'm grateful for all that you do for our family. I love you. I want you to understand that. But I also need you to understand that you are never at home. And even when you are, you're not really present. Your head is somewhere else. Well, I really felt inside defensive, but I knew she was right. And then she said to me, she said, your five daughters need you and they need you now more than ever. Well, I knew that was right for absolutely sure. And then she started crying. And she said, if I'm honest, I feel like a single mom. And she said, I'm not sure how much longer I can hang on. Well, that's not what I was going for because I thought I had reached the pinnacle of success. But what I discovered in that moment was that it was a false summit and something needed to change. You know, you have those, you have those, those moments when your entire life seems to flash before your eyes. And, and in this moment, I got a glimpse of where this trajectory was going to take me. And it was not a destination I wanted to visit.
0: It's such a profound story. And of course, I lived it. You know, I'm the oldest right. of your five Suffered daughters. Suffered through it. Suffered through it. And it's been really interesting to have that kind of be my reality. I think I was probably in high school when that happened. Um, and so that was kind of my reality growing up at home. But then you subsequently made a dramatic turnaround. Really because you got introduced to what we now call this idea of the double win, winning at work and succeeding at life, that we have to give attention to other areas of our life besides just our professional life. And in doing so, we actually improve our professional performance. You know, that there's not – it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game, that really they can be complementary and – um yeah, it doesn't have to be the battle that you felt like it was when you were making those calls back when I was young.
1: Well, and you know, I mentioned on the episode last week, and we'll link to the show notes in this where we kind of set up the problem of the cult of overwork. But I think that that most people, when they get to that situation, they they really think that it's an either or choice. It's something right. we call in the book right. the impossible choice. Yeah. Either you can win at work or you can succeed at life, but you can't do both. So you have to pick one. So what's it going to be? You know, are you going to you're going to go all in on the hustle fallacy? And we see this all over Instagram and Facebook and everywhere else, where people are talking about, you know, if you want to get ahead, you got to hustle. You know, you got to take that second or that third job. You got to do whatever is necessary to get ahead and to win. Or the alternative is people that don't want to do that, that realize that their health is important, their family's important, they don't want to sacrifice that. Then they apply what what we call the ambition break. Mm -hmm. And they just throttle back their personal ambition, but that ends up with wasted potential and a lot of frustration. And it was really me beginning to wonder after that conversation with Gail in the den, is there a third alternative? Is there a third way that wouldn't require me to, to sacrifice or to relinquish my professional ambition or my personal aspirations? And I really think that that's possible. And that's really what this book is about. And that is How can you win at work? How can you succeed in a major way, but at the same time uh, succeed with your personal relationships and with your health and with all the rest?
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny because one of the questions I keep getting asked on podcasts is, okay, so you're advocating for work-life balance, you know, and people say it a little bit, Cynically. And I think the reason they're saying it cynically is because one of two reasons, either they have been so disappointed by the promises, as we were talking about last week, you know, like, oh, this is really possible, and then there's no real solutions and doesn't really take into account the the real challenges that people face on this journey. And so it never happens for people, or I find this to be even truer. You know, if you're somebody who like us is a high achiever, and I mean, I think most of the people that listen to this podcast would consider themselves high achievers. It's just kind of, you know, who ends up coming to us that you're like, yeah. But that's not really serious, you know, like serious people, serious achievers who are doing amazing things are not necessarily thinking that much about work life balance. And so what I want to kind of propose before we even get into a couple of my favorite takeaways from the book is that this strategy of the double win is really a serious performance strategy. So if you think about it like professional athletes, if you think about Serena Williams and the remarkable career that she's had, it just seems to keep going. You know, certainly she's had her challenges from time to time, but man, I mean, she's just incredible to watch. You would never expect her to have that kind of a career as long as she had if she had been overtraining, right? She would have been sidelined by injuries. Her career would have been cut short. And yet somehow we convince ourselves that in the professional arena, we can perform at our best while shortchanging our well-being in a number of different areas outside of work. And on its face, we know that that doesn't hold up. You know, nobody who's serious in terms of athletics, like think about Tom Brady. Tom Brady would not consider sleeping four hours a night or six hours a night as a good solution to, you know, watch more uh game tape and work on his plays right that would never he would never do that because he knows that that would compromise his performance on the field and i think we tell ourselves a story that it doesn't you know we can we can overtrain so to speak and still expect to get good results what we say really in the book is no if you want the very best results that you've ever had professionally and personally then you need to apply the strategies we talk about in this book when it work and succeed at life and just a little Plug for seriously, this works. Last year in our company, we took our work, uh, work day down to six hours in the middle of COVID. It was crazy. People were stressed. You know, we were pivoting like everybody else, and all the kids were home and all of that. And we decided to do an experiment. And we've talked about this actually on a previous podcast in detail. We'll link to that in the show notes. But we decided to cut our workday down to six hours. This is something I've been doing for years and years, and we decided to give it a a try. And we steadily started moving toward it. Well, in last year, we exceeded our profit target by 50% while cutting our hours by 25%. You know, that's astonishing professional financial results that we achieved with way fewer hours. So anyway, just as kind of an anecdotal story of, we're not kidding about real concrete results when we're talking about this. This is for serious achievers too. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because I know there are some skeptics listening to us and this is for you too.
1: And I'll also say, you know, in my personal life, you know, for the last four or five years, I've t- taken 160 to 162 days off a year. Mm-hmm. That's every weekend, every weekend, that's our 11 paid holidays, and that's 11 weeks of vacation, including a 30-day nonstop sabbatical where I didn't do any work. So 162 days off a year, and yet for three years in a row, we've been on the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest-growing 5,000 companies in the United States. So there's not a correlation necessarily between the amount of work you do and the results. In fact, it's off, obviously inversely correlated. Mm -hmm. And we try to prove that in the book.
0: I feel like this is a good time to just stop and say, hey – if this resonates with you and you're like, I want to know more about this, I want to hear what kind of solutions they're going to propose in this book, When it Work and Succeed at Life, we want you to get a copy of this book. This is the core heartbeat message of Michael Hyatt and Company. You can get it anywhere books are sold, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, whatever. But make sure that you go back to the book website, which is winandsucceedbook.com winandsucceedbook.com because we have over $500 worth of awesome bonuses that we don't want you to miss out on that's going to help make it easier for you to design your own double win.
1: Okay, Meg, let's get to your top takeaways yeah. because that's how we build this show. That's right. And I kind of gave some of my takeaways last week, but right. yeah, so let's talk about your takeaways. What were some okay. of the top ones? Well,
0: I think my favorite concept in the book, we talk about five principles of the double win and five practices that go along with those. And this is really when it gets down to, you know, brass tacks of this is how you do this in your life. And my favorite one of those is the principle that says constraints foster productivity, creativity, and freedom. And okay, so constraints foster productivity, creativity, and freedom. And the practice that goes along with that is to constrain your workday. Now, this is like the one of the hardest things to wrap your mind around, but once you do it. You just won't even be able to believe that you ever did it any other way because it's going to change your life, your productivity, your ability to produce results, and your happiness and well-being in other areas of your life. You know. So what we're really advocating for is that you decide when are you going to start working. You don't just drift into work. From the time you wake up and drift out of work right up until you go to sleep and, you know, on weekends and vacations. But instead, you say, I'm going to start my day at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, and I'm going to end my day at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, you know, whatever it is for you, 3 o'clock if you're like us. But you pick these hard edges. Now, here's what I love about constraints is that all of a sudden, when you put these hard edges on your day and you say, you know what? I'm not working before that. I'm going to do my morning ritual before that. I'm not working after that. I'm going to tend to the other priorities in my life outside of work hours. All of a sudden, you start making better decisions about how you spend your time inside of work. So all, all of a sudden, you're focused on leverage instead of tasks.
1: Okay. So let's explore that just a little bit. Because I think people think, what do you mean you make better decisions? Right. So- Before I started doing this, and by the way, this was the key component in beginning my recovery from, you know, the addiction to overwork. Okay. So the first thing my executive, way back, my executive coach asked me to do was to establish these hard boundaries. And one of the things he said is the only difference between a swamp and a river is that a river has riverbanks. Mm. It has boundaries and you don't want to be the swamp. You want to be the river. You want to have a direction to the flow. So he said, is there a time that you're willing to stop working every day? Well, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, but that was like a new idea. Because the way that my day normally went was that I would realize about mid-afternoon, usually about two o'clock or three o'clock, that there was no way I was going to finish my to-do list, right? Mm-hmm. So I would say to myself, my inner conversation was this, no problem, because I can go home, have a quick bite to eat with the family, and then get right back to work. So it didn't force me to prioritize, it didn't force me to make better decisions, and it didn't force me to stay focused. But once I established a hard boundary, and I told him that 6 p.m. was my hard boundary in the day, then in the middle of the afternoon when I was tempted to say, oh, I'm not going to finish, no problem, I said, whoa, I better start triaging, deciding what's important, getting really focused on that, and keep from getting distracted. You know, it's kind of like, and I've explained it this way, and everybody gets this, I think, that friday before you go on vacation for a right minute. oh yeah you're just crazy uber productive you you're finish focused. all the
0: projects that you've been putting off for 3 months i mean it's just amazing what happens on that's that right
1: day. <laughs> but you have a hard edge you know the plane is flying out in the morning you've got to be ready so you've got a hard edge or a boundary that that creates that sense of urgency and that sense of focus well that's the same thing that happens when you have constraints on your workday.
0: mm mhm well, for me, this looks like now, and actually in my own story of the the double win, like you, constraining my workday was really the catalyst for ultimately achieving this. Because uh, way back in 2011, we adopted two boys from Uganda. That's our uh, third and fourth children. And like all kids who are available for adoption, they had some special needs coming into our family. And You know, our business was taking off. I mean, I was riding high, it was going great. You know, it was really an exciting time. In fact, you came to me and said, Hey, I want you to run the company. I think that's the next stage of our evolution that is going to allow me to focus on some other higher leverage projects and opportunities for the business. And, you know, would you be willing to step into this chief operating officer role? And I'm thinking to myself, I really want to, but how can I do that and give these kids the attention that they need? Right. And what I knew is that I needed to be able to pick them up from school. I needed to be available to them after school to do the things that they needed to, you know, ultimately get to a place where they were thriving. And so I came back to you and I said, Dad, I really want to say yes to this opportunity, but I'm not willing to compromise what my boys need. You know, when we adopted them, we made a commitment to them for life and I got to show up for them. So I can do this, but I have to be able to be done working every day at 3.30. That's what I told you. You know, I can't go on a lot of trips. I can't be taking meetings with clients or customers at night very often. Uh, I can't work on the weekends, et cetera, et cetera. And you said, okay, that's fine. As long as you can produce the results, you know, I'm willing to give it a shot. And that's kind of what we went into the future with all those years ago. And I've been doing it ever since. And establishing those hard edges has made it possible for me to build a really fast-growing, successful company but do it on six, six and a half hours a day. Now, six hours back then it was six and a half, you know? So I, I start work at nine now, I'm done at three, and those are the edges of my day. And I make way better choices about where to focus. And I'm very conscious about results and outcomes, not tasks and, you know, projects. I'm thinking about ultimately what results does this drive? And that makes me far more effective than I would be otherwise.
1: Okay, let me ask you a hard question because I'm sure there are people that are listening to this say, Oh well, if my dad was my boss,
0: right, right, right.
1: You know, all sure. girls have their dads wrapped around their finger. I'm sure I could get my dad to say yes sure. to whatever it is I want to do. But what if? What do you say to the person that doesn't have that, who has a boss who you know wants them to be working twelve hours a day, yeah. or or maybe the the single mom that really struggles, you know, or the single dad that struggles and just doesn't have the same kind of discretion over their time?
0: Sure. Well, and that's probably most people. So I think that like we always talk about this. Whenever you want to sell somebody on something, and maybe you're not going for a three o'clock into your day, maybe it would be huge, a huge transformation for you to be done at five or six at night. Like that would change your life if you could just be done then. You know, you could have dinner with your family or exercise or whatever's important to you. I think this always goes best when you sell it from the perspective of what matters to the other person. Yes. Usually What matters most to your boss is not your butt in a chair 12 hours a day. That's just a proxy for what they think it's going to take to create results. And so how I would frame this up is, hey, I want to do an experiment for 30 days in which I work from nine to five or nine to six every day. What I think I can do is I can actually produce better results than the ones you're counting on me for now if I have those hard edges, because I know I'll be able to come to work with my best thinking, my you know most creative ideas, et cetera, And I just wonder if you'd be willing to give that a try. If it doesn't work, we can always go back you know, to the old way. But I think I can really move the needle for the company here. I think that is a great setup to getting somebody to try something that otherwise they might not because you're speaking to what matters to them, which is hopefully the results. If you have a successful business, most bosses are oriented toward results.
1: Yep, yeah, totally. The other thing I would say too is just because you can't do everything doesn't mean you can't do something. Right. You know, maybe you could negotiate for having weekends off or you could negotiate for, you know, preempting calls and emails on your vacation or during the evening, you know, like stepping into your boss's If your boss typically calls you in the evening, say, hey, I'm going to be tied up this evening. You don't have to go into the detail about how you're going to be tied up, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. But you can say, hey, I'm going to be tied up this evening, but I just wanted to check in with you. Maybe this is 30 minutes before you quit work. Is there anything that you think you might need from me tonight? Because mm-hmm. I want to be available to you now to answer that question or whatever comes up later. Otherwise, I'm going to pretty much be offline and I'll talk to you tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: there's ways to preempt it, yeah. you know, in that way. That's good. But but do what you can. Just because you can't do everything, just because you can't get a six-hour work day doesn't mean, you know, toss the whole thing out the out the window. No. Mm-hmm. Do what you can, and then incrementally begin to build on that anchor point.
0: Okay, so let's shift gears for a second. Because if you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm interested in this, this sounds like, you know, it might be something I want to pursue, but how do I get started? I want to suggest an idea to you of establishing your non-negotiables in three categories. Now, we get really deep into this in the book and talk all about it. This is exactly what I did. So this is how I arrived at that 330 uh, proposal to my dad. Uh, But we want to start by thinking about what are our non-negotiables? Now, I'm not talking about doing everything. We all know from personal experience, we do not have time to do everything we possibly could want to do, but there is enough time to do the most important things. So what are those though for you? They vary for every single person. So let's start with self-care. Again, this is a performance strategy. So before you can perform at your top, you have to take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, all those things. So what for you are your self-care non-negotiables? For me, that looks like, and by the way, this changes season to season. When our now two year old daughter was just born, she was super premature, had some medical special needs. You know, we were in a very different place in terms of what self care looked like, and that has gotten better over time. It's true with all of my kids as they've gotten older. So be kind to yourself if you're in a season where you have some limitations of those kind. Uh, But for me, now this looks like I get up every day at five and Part of my self-care is that I exercise every day for about 45 minutes, Monday through Friday. I don't do it on the weekends because that's a little crazy with the kids. Um, but that's really important. I also go to bed at nine o'clock every night and I get up at five because I want to get that eight hours of sleep. So, you know, those are the kind of most central parts of that. I also drink 64 ounces of water every day. I'm always carrying around a cup. If you see me, I got a big cup with me all the time. And I plan my food 24 hours in advance. That is relatively new in the last year for me, but I I want to make a decision about what I'm going to eat throughout the day so that I can make sure I have enough energy to get through my day that I'm making The choices that, you know, my future self would appreciate as opposed to the ones in the moment when I get too hungry or too tired to make, you know, good choices. So that's kind of for me what my self-care non-negotiables look like. Dad, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, for me, it's similar. You know, I get up at roughly 5 o'clock, 445 to 5 and same thing for me. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of myself spiritually first. Mm-hmm. Then I'm gonna take care of myself intellectually and physically, and those two things happen simultaneously because I'm listening to an audio book while I'm exercising. Mm-hmm. But that's a non negotiable, and I could pretty much predict how my day is gonna go right. by whether or not I do that. Mm-hmm. So by this time, after you know decades of doing this, it's pretty ingrained. But there are times that I miss. You know, last week I happened to be sick for a couple of days and so I missed that and and it really had an impact you know so and that's okay you know I'm not legalistic about it and if there's a good reason to to not do it but I find that that that's something that the more I can give my attention to and take care of myself because the alternative is to see self-care as the reward mm-hmm. for hard work right i believe it's the prerequisite for hard work and somebody brought this example up to me recently and I don't know who it was I'd give credit if I if I could remember but but what they said is, if you were a million-dollar racehorse, you wouldn't take care of the horse only if they won. Right. No, you would take care of the horse. You would give them the best nutrition. You would make sure they were getting you know the, the requisite sleep and all that stuff in order to perform on the track. And that's how I view self-care. Mm-hmm. It's the foundation. It's the prerequisite to high performance.
0: And you know we talk a lot about this in the book, but sleep is really the foundation of self-care. So if you feel like you're it way is. out of whack right now after 2020, uh, I would just really encourage you to read that chapter about sleep because that is the most basic of all self-care. If you're a high achiever, you're probably like, oh, I need to exercise more. Not if you're not sleeping enough. That'll only make it worse. So um, anyway, I think this is so critically important. You don't have to do everything here. I mean, maybe you're in a season of life where a 15-minute walk is part of your self-care and getting to bed on time. Great. Build on that over the years. It'll you'll you'll look back with gratitude for how far you've come and it'll be awesome. Okay, then the next area is relational priorities. This one is so important. So after you've kind of set the foundation with your self-care, what matters to you in terms of your priorities with the people you love. Maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. Maybe you're married, maybe you're not. Maybe you have uh, really close friends in your life or other family members that you're heavily involved with or take care of. What do you wanna do? If you look back and you know you're not gonna have any regrets looking back, what did you do? Because not everything is a non-negotiable, right? I mean, there's not enough time for all of it, but what are the things that really matter? For me, that looks like I wanna sit down for dinner with my kids five nights a week, And it doesn't matter if it's fancy. It doesn't matter if uh, it's on paper plates. It just matters that I look in my kids' eyes with Joel and we talk about what we're grateful for that day and what our best thing of the day was so we can connect and have that time around the table. Um, The other thing is that I want to pick my kids up from school and I want to have a weekly date night. You know, those are really my top relational priorities. And I uh, work my schedule to make sure those are possible.
1: Yeah. For me, it's a similar kind of thing. You know, I want to have dinner with Gail five nights a week. We're empty nesters, so that's pretty easy. But uh, one of the things we just started doing was eating dinner and then spending the evening either watching a TV show that we both like or playing a game. We just started this this last weekend (laughs) and we're loving this. We just started playing Quirkle. Oh my gosh. So Gail's brother, Carl, and his wife, Linda, introduced this to us. But it's, it's just a fun way to spend time together and to kind of wind down and get off the screens.
0: If you had told me 20 years ago that you would be playing a game in, in the evening, I would think I would have fallen out of my chair. <laughs> <laughs> it's so like not in your personality wheelhouse, but I think it's evidence that you've really grown and that you value this non-achievement time like we talk about in the book and you see its value for your performance professionally.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I sent you girls a picture of us playing Quirkle and I said, you know, never in a thousand years would I have thought right. that I would be sending you this picture, but here I am.
0: I think we all sent back like head exploding emojis. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we have self-care non-negotiables, relational priority non-negotiables, and then we have professional results. And the reason this one is last is because you can't have enough results to make up for self-care and relational priorities being kind of out of whack. And you really can't have your best professional results without those two things as the foundation. So. When I think about this, again, our focus is on high leverage. What professional results do you need to achieve in order to move the things that you're responsible forward, right? So where do you get the leverage? Where do you really make a difference? Uh, Where do you have an impact? For me, you know, the first thing is delivering our annual budget. That's one of my most important responsibilities. The next one is setting our long-term vision, And then also serving my executive team. Those are my direct reports and they're my number one clients. If I take care of them, they're going to take care of everybody else, including our team and our clients and coaches and all the things. And that's really where my top three professional results are focused is on those areas. If I neglect any of those areas, then the business is going to suffer. But having that clarity is what enables me to make high leverage decisions every day when I come into work.
1: Yeah. You know, this reminds me, Megan, that I think when people think that this is an either or decision, yep. you know, you can either have the professional results or you can have the personal results. The problem is that's a failure of imagination. Mm-hmm. When you ask yourself the question, what would have to be true for me to have both? Yeah, That sets your mind free to solve for that problem. That's right. But as long as you cave into this idea that it's a myth, Mm-hmm. And and I really believe it's a deception. Mm-hmm. If you if you cave into that deception that this is a myth, you won't even try.
0: Yep, absolutely. And we know from our experience and from our seven hundred business owner clients, this is possible. It, it is absolutely possible to win at work and succeed at life. So, guys, I'm just going to be shameless here again, and I'm going to plug this book. You got to get it. it. This is our Heartbeat, this is the soul of Michael Hyde & Company, it's why we exist, is to help people just like you figure out how to design their own double win to really and truly win at work and succeed at life. So go get a copy wherever you buy your books, click that Buy It Now button on Amazon before you know you're even done with this podcast, assuming you're not on the road, and then take your receipt and go to winandsucceedbook.com that's where you're going to get to redeem that receipt for $500 worth of awesome bonuses that are going to help you do exactly what we've been talking about today to design your own double win. So go to winandsucceedbook.com. Don't lose that receipt and claim your bonuses, my friend.
1: Hope you guys can feel our passion around this topic. We are passionate. This is our life message and we want you to share it. We're not just trying to To sell books. We're trying to start a revolution, start a cultural reform, and we hope that you'll join us in it. But at any rate, thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Win, and we'll see you next week with another great episode.
0: This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael and Megan's newest book, Win at Work and Succeed at Life. Enjoy Michael and Megan exploring what it takes to achieve the double win, while they recount stories that bring joy and some stories that sting, all while laying out how you can win at work and succeed at life. Pre-order your copy today at winandsucceedbook.com. That's winandsucceedbook.com.